reading. It's the same as last week. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God, or more literally, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And may God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of the scriptures. So when I was in college, I lived in a house with a bunch of guys. Some of you maybe have heard this story before. But you know, that's, that's what it means to belong to a church. It's when you've been around long enough to hear the same story, you know. So if you've heard it before, congratulations. <laughs> no, but a couple of us were youth pastors at a church in town. And one Wednesday night, we were at the church for a bunch of midweek activities. And while we were there, the power went out. Not for very long, just like a few minutes. Kind of went out, was off for a little while, and then it came back on, right? And we, everybody kind of just went back to, to their business. When we got home uh, from those events to our house, the power was still out at our place. Like nothing worked. Lights wouldn't come on, nothing. And so we figured, well, it must be out, you know, in this area. And so we just lit a bunch of candles, you know. I don't know how we had candles, a bunch of single dudes, uh, but we did. We lit candles. We did homework, you know, from school. We were all in college at the time. We did homework by candlelight. We made dinner by candlelight. You know, it was kind of enjoying it. It's nice, a little throwback, right? Well, then I walk into my bedroom and just out of habit, you know, you flip on the light switch, right? And I notice all of a sudden my fan started moving. And I was like, what? That's weird. And so I walk over, I reach up, and I take a light bulb, and I twist it, and the light bulb comes on. The light comes on. I kid you not. This is what happened. A group of high school boys, when the power went out, went to our house, broke in, and somehow managed to unplug everything from the socket and unscrew all of the light bulbs Like wh- while we were still at the church. And so we, we thought the power was out the entire time. We sat around for hours, y'all, hours in the dark thinking the power was still out. But listen, the power wasn't out. The power was there. It was available. But the connection was broken. The power was available, but the connection was broken. Sounds about right, doesn't it? See, in our part of the world, we've reduced God, faith, spirituality to just a bunch of ideas. It's just a bunch of advice on how maybe you can make your life a little bit better. It's just a bunch of words. But like the Apostle Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says the kingdom of God, which is like the reality of God, is not a matter of talk but of power. Y'all say power. When it comes to the kind of lives that we all want to live, you got an idea of that, how you want to see your life change? Or when it comes to the kind of world that we want to live in, You got an idea of what that could look like? But when it comes to that sort of reality, we don't just need advice. We don't just need some new ideas or new ways of thinking about things. We need resources. We need energy. We need power. We need strength beyond ourselves. And today we're wrapping up this series, finally, cardio. We've been talking about the heart for a long time. What we've been doing over this last series is exploring some practices, spiritual practices that have the potential to open our hearts to the very spirit of God and make power, energy, resources available to us. 
And before we sort of pick up where we left off last week and talk about sort of the role that the Bible can play in all of that, I just want to make sure you feel where I'm coming from. You get a sense of where my heart's at when it comes to this, the importance of this and what it can do for us. Because whatever it is that you feel like you don't have enough of, wherever it is in your life where you feel like you're lacking something, like maybe when it comes to sort of forgiving that person, or when it comes to having patience, (laughs) patience with your kids, or patience with that neighbor with all the yard signs, you know what I'm talking about? Or when it comes to our anger, our apathy, when it comes to some of our addictions, listen to me, making any sort of lasting change in your life, you're not going to just need a bunch of advice. You're going to need help. You're going to need a power from beyond yourself. And that's what these practices do for us. They plug us in, so to speak. They, make, they open up our hearts to actually have the, the presence of God dwell there in a, in a really powerful sort of way. We say this all the time, and we mean it. You know, Emmaus is a place for people who aren't so sure about all of this. We're really a place for everybody, but we want to cater to people. We want to cater to folks who have got a lot of questions. You know, because I haven't always felt welcome to ask my questions in church. Right? And so we want, to be, we want to be that kind of place. And I love hearing the fact that we got people here who I know aren't so sure about all this, but you feel safe here. I love that. That's what we're trying to do. We want to create space for those sort of questions. Now, I, don't, I don't just say that. Like to have some sort of street cred, you know, to sound cool. Yeah, we're here for you if you've got questions. Now, understand, I say I want Emmaus to be that kind of place because that's the kind of place I need Emmaus to be. I got questions, y'all. I got all sorts of questions. I do about God, about life after death, about the Bible. I got all sorts of questions. There's a lot that I'm not sure of, but hear me when I say this. One thing I cannot deny no matter how hard I try, is that when I open myself up to the God who looks like Jesus and I invite this God into my life, something happens. I am so much better for it. It does something real. You know, I I get expanded on the inside. (laughs) I find that I'm, I'm less insecure, that I doubt myself less, that I'm more patient, more generous, more hopeful, and a lot less empty. And I just want to say, you know, that, that matters to me more now. All of that, the reality and the truth of that, that matters to me now more than having all the right answers. You know, I'm, I'm becoming more of a mystic in my old age. Almost 40, back off. I know mystic, that word sounds kind of woo-woo, and it is, I'll own that, it is. But, but a mystic is, is somebody who prioritizes experience and encounter over knowledge and information. That's what it means to be a mystic. Somebody who's pursuing a real encounter with God, not just a bunch of knowledge and information. Because I don't know about you, but I am just so tired of the brand of Christian that is rooted in the head. It's all about arguments and right thinking. And it's really easy to have all sorts of opinions about that, but still be a jerk. Right? What I want is I want to be a Christian where the faith is rooted in my heart. Because when you have an encounter with the real presence of God and the grace of God, you're different, you're changed. And the primary way in which you find is you have more generosity towards people, more compassion, more love. That's what I want us to be. And that's really what these practices are about. 
It's about making space for that so that the God who looks like Jesus can meet us in profound ways and change us from the inside out so that we can have a different sort of presence in the world. Are you feeling me? So if you've missed any of these messages in this series, I strongly advise you to go back and listen. And we're not done talking about this. We're going to bring it up all sorts, all the time, because, you know, this is central to who I want us to be. I want us to be a formed people, a deep people who are allowing God to work on all of our rough edges. Because you're not as cool as you think you are, right? You've got some things you need God to do in your life. Can I get an amen? And so last week we started a conversation about the practice of reading the Bible. And we spent most of our time talking about some of the more troubling things about the Bible. If you missed it, strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can find it on our podcast, on our app, and on our website. But this week, I want to talk about the gift of the Scriptures. The gift of the Scriptures. And, and even how we can fold the practice of reading them into our life and our faith. I want us to get practical today. We're going to even try some things out. So go ahead right now and stretch, you introverts, stretch a little bit because you're going to have to interact with some people. Not too much. We won't make you pull a muscle or anything. But we're going to try some stuff here today. So I want to pray. I want to spend a second in prayer just to prepare us for this. Some of you are like, I'm leaving. Don't worry. We locked the door. You're not going anywhere. But I really want, I want today to be more experiential. I'm going to offer you some information, but I hope is more than anything, is that we can put some of this into practice and some cool stuff can happen, all right? So let's pray. Ah, God, I thank you so much for being here. We don't have to ask you to show up. You're here. You're already here. We need help from you so that we can be here, so that we can show up and be present. And so I just pray that your spirit just works through this room, that you drop our guard, you soften us up, Make us open. More than that, make us expectant. Be people who anticipate you speaking to us. Anticipate you doing something new in our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's put that passage from 2 Timothy back up on the screen. At least verse 16. All right, verse 16. This passage written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. That's right. Amen. Here's what he says. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Or more literally, like I said earlier, God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. Now what's interesting is if you sort of get into the actual Greek, the, there is no word is. All scripture is God breathed. That word isn't there. It's in, the translators think it's implied. But I don't know. Because another way of reading this is all God breathed scripture is useful. Not all scripture is God-breathed. Some of it's not. All God-breathed scripture is useful. I bring this up because this passage is often used as a sort of proof text for something called the doctrine of inerrancy. Just show of hands. How many of you are familiar with that word inerrancy if you've been in the church? Anybody? Yeah, that can be a weird one. Maybe you're not. You might know it from a different, different name or different ideas. But the doctrine of inerrancy uh, basically, it, it says that the, the Bible is 100% true and accurate, 100% true and accurate in everything that it says, not only about faith in God, but also anything the Bible has to say about like history and science. It is 100% accurate as well. It's this claim that the Bible is without error or contradiction. Now, what you need to understand is that as doctrines go, this one's pretty new. It actually didn't become an official doctrine of the evangelical church until 1978. 
Think about that. A lot of us, you know, we grew up think, hearing all the time, this is what the Bible is. And this is the way the church has always thought about the Bible. That's not true. This is a relatively new, modern doctrine. And i got to be honest with you, I don't buy it. I don't hold to it. I don't. Because the Bible does contradict itself. I mean, it just does. And here, here's, a, here's a trivial one. You ready? So there's two different tellings in the Old Testament about the history of Israel's kings. Right? Israel had... Kings, you know that. There's two different stories, two different versions of the story. There's First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. This is one telling of the story, and then there's another telling, First and Second Chronicles. They're written at very different times, okay? And there are some major discrepancies. But here's a trivial one, a minor one. In and Samuel, David, you know King David, right? He pays fifty pieces of silver for this guy's threshing floor. Threshing floor is where they would sort of separate the wheat, right, the grain. He, he buys this guy's field for 50 uh, pieces of silver and Samuel. But in Chronicles, we're told that David paid 600 pieces of gold. That's a big difference. 50 pieces of silver, 600 pieces of gold. Which one is it? Can't be both, right? Did he pay this much or did he pay that much? Let me just be clear. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I mean, who, who gives a flying rip about how much he paid you know, for the, for the th threshing floor. It seems inconsequential. But when your understanding of the Bible is built on inerrancy, little discrepancies like this can be lethal. And that's a minor one. There's some bigger ones than that. I'm making the Gospels. You know, the, one Gospel has Jesus, the ascension, happening, you know, at the Mount of Olives. The other one has it happening in the northern part of the country. Where did he, where did he ascend from? Right? It's a, it's a, it's a discrepancy. The reality, it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't. The fact is it happened. That's the important thing. And either the authors are trying to tell us something unique about what it means, and the location has something to do with that. But listen, this is what I said last week. Some of us, man, we have a trouble with the Bible. We have real troubles with the Bible. What I found is the trouble actually comes from trying to make the Bible something it's not and trying to have the Bible defend itself in ways that the Bible never asked to defend itself. The Bible's not inerrant. But it certainly is inspired. Certainly is inspired. God breathed, even, as Timothy said. So although I don't think the Bible is inerrant, man, I'm, I'm more convinced now than ever that it is inspired. That God's word, God's presence meets us in a unique way through the scriptures. I love that idea. God breathed. As he's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 2, the creation story there. Remember that? Where God takes dirt and molds the first human out of dirt, right, and then breathes into it the breath of life, and it becomes a living thing, that's what the Scriptures can do. Not only are the Scriptures inspired, but they are inspiring. And they can spark life in us. They can breathe life in us. They can inspire us in all sorts of ways. You know, recently I've had my, my curiosity peaked about the great Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky. That's a, that's a last name. We got any Dostoevsky fans in the, in the room? Any class in Ru classic Russian literature nerds up in here? Anybody? Man, I've just been really piqued. I want to start reading his stuff. You know, he's considered to be one of the greatest writers in history. He wrote classics like Crime and Punishment, right? The person responsible for piquing my curiosity is a pastor in Missouri named Brian Zahn, who I have just, I'm so thankful for. 
We actually have some folks in the church who were a part of his church. Y'all sit in the back. Brian's back there. They were a part of Brian's church in, in, in Missouri. Uh, incredible pastor. Highly recommend everything that he, he has to say. Read, podcast, all of it. Um, but he, the way he connects with Dostoevsky's writings, the way he unpacks his stories, it made me, makes me want to read it you know, for myself. And what I found really intriguing is Brian Zahn's insight into Dostoevsky's personal life. And he grew up in an Orthodox Christian home. This is like the, the mid to eight, late 1800s um, in Russia. But during his, his high school years and on into college, he became an agnostic. He just sort of left it all behind. After college, he joined uh, a secret underground literary society that was critical of the Russian regime. And when he was 27, he and other members of the secret society, they were arrested for treason and they were sentenced to death just for writing things that were critical of, of the, the empire. After eight months in prison, he and his friends were to be executed. What they didn't know, though, is that the Russian emperor had decided to spare his life and had the sentence changed, but he ordered that the reprieve be announced at the very last moment. And so he was marched out to this parade ground. He was blindfolded. He was put in front of a firing squad. And just before the command of fire was given, a horseman came riding in and announced that the emperor had changed the verdict, that they would be spared. And instead, he would spend the next four years in a prison camp in Siberia. He called that prison the House of the Dead. But on his way into the prison, a woman he didn't know gave him a copy of the New Testament. And during his four years in that prison, that's all he had to read. And he read it over and over and over again. And you can actually see this New Testament in the Dostoevsky Museum in St. Petersburg. But he came back to faith in Jesus, reading the New Testament over and over and over again. His wife once told a biographer, she said this, he used to say that the gospel was the only thing that kept hope alive in his heart. Only in that book did he find support. Whenever he resorted to it, he was filled with new energy and strength. And there's plenty of people in this room, myself included, who can bear witness to something similar. Am I right? I mean, through some of the most difficult times in my life, I have found hope and a new energy and a strength from the Scriptures. It's like many of us, you read it, you know, and you just catch this sort of glimmer, this glint of something beyond the words, some sort of unique presence there. And God meets us in this powerful way and inspires us, can speak life into us. And I mentioned this last week, but throughout history, oppressive regimes have at least censored, if not totally banned the Bible. I mean, from the Romans to modern day China, right? Oppressive regimes are afraid of this book. They fear it, right? Throughout history, it has sparked countless revolutions and inspired all sorts of reformers, like people who have actually made the world a better place in very tangible, powerful ways. That means something, y'all. It means something. I get why we find the Bible hard to read. I do. Believe me, I do. Right? But with all that in mind, with its history and the things that it's sparked and all the stuff that it's done, I don't understand why we wouldn't at least want to read the Bible. I mean, it is without a doubt the most influential, the most controversial book in the history of the world. That alone means it deserves our attention. Am I right? 
But there's power in these words. God meets us in a really, really powerful way. And because it is God-breathed or inspired, it is, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Bottom line is it challenges us with a better version for being human. The Bible, it pushes and pulls us forward. Yes, there are parts of the Bible that are troubling, archaic, barbaric even. And for a lot of us, our trouble is we get hung up on a little part. We get hung up on a little part, right? But if you step back and you look at the arc of the biblical story, right, it is this incredible story of God pushing peoples forward despite themselves. And I don't know about you, but that looks like me. You? What does growth look like in your life? Up and to the right? Is that what it's look like for you, Jerry? No? No, it's messy, isn't it? It looks like two steps forward and one step back, doesn't it? It looks like that story of Jacob wrestling the angel. That's a picture of what growth has looked like in my life. And that is the story of the Bible. It's God meeting people where they're at, inspiring them with a better sense of what it means to be human and pushing them forward whether they like it or not. It's the story of the Bible. And I don't know about you, I need that. I need to be challenged. Because otherwise, I'm just going to settle for a lesser version of myself. And I'm going to regress. And so the Bible can challenge us and push us forward. But not only that, I I love how the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 ends in verse 17. Right? That it is useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. And verse 17 says, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. We talked about that phrase last week, good work. Right? It, it's connected to this Jewish idea of mitzvot. It goes all the way back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. It's about us leveraging our God-given potential to shape the world into the kind of place that God wants it to be and the kind of place that we all long for it to be. That's what good work means. That's what mitzvot is. So basically, the Bible exists to get us caught up into that story, to get caught up in a bigger and better story than the ones that we tend to settle for. We live in a part of the world where, man, it is so easy for our stories to get hijacked. Am I right? I mean, we live in this consumeristic culture where we're bombarded by several thousand commercial messages a day, all of them telling us to want certain things. And they're effective, aren't they? They're so effective. And so it's really easy for our stories to get hijacked by these lesser things, these boring things, and our stories become just lame. Every year, last three years, I've given our graduates a copy of Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Newsflash, if you're graduating, you're getting one of those. I mean, I've just found it to be one of the most helpful books I've ever read. And it's basically all about how the same elements that go into to good storytelling, whether that's writing a book or a movie or a screenplay, the same elements that make those kind of stories great are the same elements that make our lives great. So the same things that go into telling a great story go into living a great story. It's an incredibly helpful book. But I love what he says. He says, the ambitions we have, now an ambition in a story is what the character wants. It's what their life's about. Every story, the character has something, right? Think like Frodo in Lord of the Rings. What's Frodo want? To destroy the ring, right? That's his ambition, his goal, right? So the ambitions we have will become the stories we live, If you want to know what a person's story is, just ask them what they want. If we don't want anything, we're living boring stories. 
And if we want a Roomba vacuum cleaner, we're living stupid stories. It's true. And one of the things he later suggests is to imagine your life summarized on one of those movie posters at the theaters. The one about the coming attractions. Usually there's a little tagline, right, giving you an idea of what the movie's about. If your life was summarized on one of those movie posters, what would it say? What would it say? This year, John's going to buy a new car. Will he do it? Dun, dun, dun. Or this year, Sherry, whew, watch out now. Sherry's out to redecorate her house. She might even redesign those two rooms in her house nobody ever goes in. Does she have the time? You know, here's Tim. Tim just wants to play a lot of golf. Man, can he play, you know, 32 rounds and, is it 32? 18 holes? No, 36? <laughs> this is Nick. Does he know math? But you know what I'm saying? Like, what would your life, none of those things are wrong. None of those things are wrong. They're good. They're beautiful. But when they become all of our ambition, what our life's about, that's a lame story. That's a dumb story. Especially when you, you know who you are. You're a human being made in the image of God. You have the God-given potential to shape the world around you. Stop settling for boring stories. And so one of the roles of the Bible is to get us caught up in that bigger story, the bigger thing that God is doing in the world. That's why we read it, to make sure that I'm actually in tune with that story. I'm caught up in that story. I'm living my life in that direction. Otherwise, man, it just gets hijacked, and it becomes about something silly. And the saddest thing is people often don't realize that till the end. And we just did a funeral this past week for somebody in our church, for Steve, Steve Hendricks. I mean, everybody there at a funeral, the one thing we're all aware of is that our life matters and how we live it matters and the people we impact, it all matters. And I think we should live with that sort of awareness all the time. The story that we're telling isn't even worth telling. The Bible is there to help keep us on track. Are you with me? That's why you should read it. But what I want to do is, is talk, get, get real practical here at the end and even put some of this stuff into practice. Here's some practical things. You ready? If you're taking notes, you might want to write this stuff down. Practical stuff that can sort of help make the Bible easier, maybe even more fun to read. I'm going to go through these quickly so that we can actually do some of this stuff, right? First thing, learn about the Bible. Y'all say learn about it. Learn about it. Yes, the Bible is hard to read. And that's because it wasn't written to you first, right? It was written by ancient people to other ancient people going through very specific things. And if you really want to understand it, man, the more we learn about that stuff, the more we learn about the original authors and the original audience and what was going on in the world and how they saw things, right? And the more we try to understand individual books in light of the greater biblical story, the more of this stuff really comes to life. It's not easy. But anything you've gotten good at, you had to learn about it first. I picked up cooking on charcoal during a pandemic. I didn't just immediately go buy a bag of charcoal and throw it in my web or light it on fire and start cooking stuff. I learned about it. I had to get the right utensils, the right tools. Anybody in here cooking on charcoal, you got, got a hold of that vortex yet? You know what I'm talking about? A little cone you put down on the bottom. Game changer. Best chicken wings on planet Earth, right? I had to learn about it first. The same is true with the Bible. You got to learn about the Bible. 
and we're working on a class. You know, once we have our own space, it's going to be pretty, pretty intense. But I want to put together sort of a biblical literacy class. It's going to help you understand the, the overall story of the scriptures, how to approach it, right? Maybe even do a survey through some of the books and the different genres, right? But in the meantime, here's a couple great resources to start with. First one, something called the Bible Project, all right? Write this down. The Bible Project. It's this incredible resource. They've got overviews of every book. They do these really cool drawings, right? So it's not boring. It's really fun. They've got supplemental podcasts. They've got a whole series, kind of an intro to the Bible. Start there. Check it out. It's awesome. And a new one I just came across is called biblicaltraining.org. These are free classes from world-around scholars. So if you kind of feel like, you know, you're looking for next-level stuff, like step two, you might want to check this out. It's literal. It's lectures. You can watch these lectures and take these courses from, like, some of the best scholars in the world uh, when it comes to the Bible. So learn about it. Second thing I want to say, listen to others. The Bible was originally written to be, not, not originally written to be read in isolation. All the yous in the Bible are plural. And so around here in the South, we say y'all, right? Not yous, y'all. Most of the yous in the Bible are y'all. They're written to groups of people, right? And, and so this idea of like having your own personal copy of the Bible and you go into your own like alone time and read it by yourself, right? That's a new thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's new. What, what Christians and people of faith would do for a long time is they'd come together once a week like this and a community would have like one copy of the text and they would read it out loud and then discuss it as a group, right? And so one of the ways that we do this is we can read other people's thoughts on the scriptures, what they have to say about the Bible. Like right now, I'm reading a book by Brian Zahn, and he's unpacking the Scripture and, and how that impacts his faith. But I have found that, man, when I listen to other people and their thoughts on the Scripture, it makes it more interesting and more accessible for me. So read about it, read about it, and listen to others. And I strongly encourage you to listen to people who aren't like you. You know, a diversity of background, a diversity of experience, particularly read from folks who are marginalized, and understand their view of the scriptures and how they understand it. I'll never forget when I went to Israel a few years ago, one of our tour guides was a Palestinian Christian. People don't understand, don't realize that uh, some of the oldest Christians in the world are Palestinians. Right? If you watch mainstream media, we only have one view of Palestinians. I remember him talking to me about the book of Joshua and how he reads the book of Joshua as being a Palestinian. It's incredible. When you, when you sort of, you know, think about it that way, man, the Bible is like, it's this diamond. You keep turning it, and there's new perspectives and new things to learn about it. But we need to read from a diversity of voices. Timothy Keller was a pastor who just recently passed away. Incredible man. But I came across this quote from him this week. He said, when you listen to one, when you listen to and read one thinker, you become a clone. Two different thinkers, you become confused. Ten thinkers, you'll begin to develop your own voice. Two or three hundred thinkers, you become wise. So read from a wide spectrum of people when it comes to what they have to say about the Bible. And then finally, this is where we're going to hang out to finish our time together. Pray the scriptures. Pray them. This is so powerful on a personal level. There's this method called Lectio Divina. And it basically means sacred readings. And it's a way that Christians have been reading the scriptures since the 6th century. But it is this prayerful, sort of slowed down way of reading the text. And it is so necessary in our culture of like skimming, scrolling, speed reading. <laughs> it forces us to slow down. 
so that we not only read the scriptures, but we allow them to read us. All right, so what I want to do right now, we're going to try it real quick, all right? I need you to get into groups of three to five. Don't freak out. Nobody has cooties. Most of us aren't weird, as we like to say. Three to five, right now. Go ahead and do it. Just decide who your three to five are going to be, okay? Go ahead and do that. Just do it. Get it over with. Get it over with. Nope, just, just find your three to five. That's it. Once you've got them, be quiet. You got your three to five? Okay, cool. All right. Nobody do anything weird. This is really hard for some people, so don't freak them out. Here's what we're going to do. All right, listen up. Everybody go, hum. Here's what we're going to do. I have a passage of Scripture from Mark 4. We're going to read through it three times. I'm going to read it out loud. I know I asked a couple of you to come up here, but for the sake of time, just stay put. I'll read it, okay? You're good. We're going to read through this passage three times. All right, each time you're going to be asked to listen for something particular, okay? The first time we read through this text, I just want you to pay attention to what you notice, okay? Maybe there's a word or there's a phrase that jumps out at you, all right? Just pay attention to that. You're looking for one, okay? I know you might have several. Just pick one, pick one that really grabs your attention as we read, okay? And then what I'll have you do is you'll turn to your group of three to five, and all you're going to do is say what it is. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to give anybody any explanation. Just share with each other what the word or phrase was that you felt like really kind of grabs your attention. Does that make sense? Then we'll come back and we'll read it a second time. That time what I want you to be doing as, as you're hearing these words, invite the Spirit. What, what are you trying to say to me through this? What is it? What, what is it? Why, why do I need to see this or pay attention to this? Invite the Spirit to speak, then you'll share that with each other. Okay, and listen, if you don't get anything, that's fine. You don't have to say anything. I promise. Nobody's going to judge you, okay? Third time, we're going to read through it, and I want you to be open to maybe, what am I supposed to do with this? Is there something I'm supposed to do or be? Is there an action step for me? Just be open. You might not get it either. It might take a little bit of time, but let's just see what happens. Okay, so that's what we're going to do right now. Read through it three times, focusing on these three different things, and we're going to share a bit with each other. Got it? You dig? All right. Here we go. Let's take a second. Just kind of get quiet, get comfortable. Sometimes I like to sort of do something with my body that's a sense of what I want it, my, my heart to be like. And so I'll just take my hands and kind of turn them open like this on my lap. Just kind of a posture being open, right? God, we ask you to speak to us through your scriptures right now. And help us be expectant. Not just here, but ready for what you have to say. Hear these words from the scripture. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him as well. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Be silent, be still. 
Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So just take a moment now and turn to your group and share what word or phrase you felt like kind of jumped out at you. Just do that real quick right now. Okay, you're using a lot of words, word or phrase, let's keep this part brief, make sure everybody gets a chance to share, yeah, let's read it one more time, yeah, now God we ask, uh, we invite you now not only to get our attention but to say something to us, and so as we read through this passage one more time, speak to us. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be silent, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Just take a few moments. If it needs to be quiet for a second, that's fine. When you're with your groups... If you feel like you have a little more insight, maybe, into why that passage, that, those words, that phrase jumped out at you, just share that, all right? If you don't think you do yet, that's fine. You don't have to say anything. Let's just see what happens, all right? Take a second, consider it, and then talk about it in your group.
give you like 30 seconds. So if you're talking too much, shh, let somebody else talk. All right. Bring it back with me one more time. But it's interesting, isn't it, how different, different phrases and, and sort of uh, words can really jump out of you? I mean, that, that phrase, let us go across to the other side. I wonder if there's somebody in here who's been avoiding the other side. There's a new place you need to go, right? And it's scary. And you do a little research on why the disciples might have been afraid to go to the other side. You find out what the other side was. Scary place. It can be scary, can it? They were afraid before the storm ever came up. Somebody can find themselves in that story. Am I right? But this, man, that really can come alive. And don't worry, we're, we're going to actually try some, this, this summer, we're going to try some Sundays where we do this. There's going to be somebody, we're going to take more time. The whole sermon's going to be this. And there'll be somebody who, you know, we have identified to share kind of a real personal reflection. But you're going to be invited to do this together. Because the thing is, we're a church. Look around the room. There's other people here. And one of the cool things that can happen is when we actually talk to each other and we share this stuff, some cool stuff can happen, all right? So we're going to read this one more time. This time, just whatever it is, you keep it to yourself. You don't have to share this part. But let's just invite the Spirit. What do we need to do with what we've heard, right, through this text? Maybe there's something. There's a next, next right thing for you to do. Let's invite the Spirit maybe to give us that. And you don't have to share this. You keep this to yourself. All right, let's read it one more time. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took, with him, took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And waking up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Be silent, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's just take a second to listen. Creator God. And it just does something to me when I stop and I think about the people throughout the centuries who have found life and strength and direction and hope and power from these texts. I think about the people in all sorts of circumstances, people imprisoned unjustly, people living under the oppression of a of a regime 
people in the midst of famines, people in the midst of pandemics, who have found strength and energy and resources from these texts. Truth is, you're always speaking to us, but we're not always listening. And so I just pray that whatever it is that you have um, laid on someone's heart, whatever you're going to do, however you're going to speak from here on out, Lord, I pray that you also just give us clarity to see what that next right thing is to do. And then give us the courage to follow through. We thank you for the gift of your scriptures. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the gift of your church. And then when all those three things dance together, wow, some really cool stuff can happen. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That wasn't so bad, right? Anybody pull a muscle? Any good? Well, we're, we're, again, we're going to try some of that this summer. Um, should be a ton of fun. We're also going to try some summers where uh, called the hot seat. I'm just going to sit up here and answer all the questions you ask during the week. That could be kind of fun, right, too? So the summer's going to be fun. It's going to be different. It's going to be interesting. But church, I thank you so much for being here. Hope to see you next week. Yeah? You are dismissed. Don't forget, starting point's happening right over here in this room. <laughs>